killing the world as they prove to the famous podcast. It's the hottest message out there. When I'm killing, I'm always proving it's the same. Yeah, the hottest podcast out there. Oh, yes. Very informative. When I'm home, Tim, I'm always tuned in for days. He has the hottest podcast out here. When I'm home, Tim, in the world, I stay tuned to the famous podcast. It's the hottest message out there. you see or how many live streams you watch the reality on the ground is a lot a lot more terrible than it is on social media and and, Twitter. and if, if not sure this is the, the whole room is filled with gunpowder cement with gullible cement my hair is uh, filled with dust and cement and the little kids behind me are uh, terrified uh, uh, in fear, the little ones, and we can see the pictures that follow quickly, uh, whole buildings, residential buildings, businesses, uh, Palestinian infrastructure, schools, hospitals, ambulances, uh, medical centers. You, you don't, you don't know whether this is this is it. It's, it's, it uh, we will not. We will not. Uh, we don't deserve this. We're not animal like the Israelis think. Uh, our kids uh, deserve better. Israel knows that uh, uh, they want to punish the kids, the civilians, like Ali suggested. And I have always said this, even before. Even from the 90s, when young Palestinians, Ali said, praise those valiant fighters, they are to be praised. But if you know them in real life, when you see the pictures of those fighters, they're very simple people. They're lightly uh, uh, armed, modestly uh, uh, trained, but they have a, a weapon that Israel does not have, the weapon of uh, the belief, the faith that this is your land, that you're right fighting 
uh, uprooted a European uh, colonial enterprise that is being uh, brutalizing Palestinians for over uh, seven, uh, seven decades. The Palestinians are fighting with those people, even from the 90s and uh, uh, later on in the Second Intifada. They always, always came victorious when they came face to face with the Israelis. Hey everyone, I'm Clayton here in northern Egypt, not too far from the Israeli border where Egypt just dropped a bombshell. Is this a huge middle finger to the United States and Israel? I'll get to that in a minute. Of course, just north of this location is the Israeli border and now all-out war against Hamas, all-out war against the Gaza Strip. And if you didn't think a world war was possible before with the NATO war in Ukraine, We'll get ready. A few hours ago, the Israeli Defense Ministry just announced an invasion and destruction of Gaza. And I'm quoting him now. There will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. We are fighting human animals and we will act accordingly. Many people on social media saying, well, that would be a war crime. Of course, the term war crime is being used a lot in the past few days in Gaza. The country of Lebanon just fired a dozen rockets at Israeli targets warning Israel, stay out of Gaza. If Israel invades Gaza, that will bring a response from Hezbollah. All bets are off. A stunning admission today, just actually a few minutes ago, from Egypt. Egypt's top intelligence officials saying that Israel totally dropped the ball here. They ignored huge warning signs that something big was coming from Hamas in Gaza, and they did nothing to stop it. In other words, Egypt says Israel knew this was coming, they warned Israel. They had multiple conversations about it. They admitted this. Israel has arguably the most sophisticated intelligence service in the world. And yet they purposefully didn't do anything to stop it. Egypt says they knew about it. So if that's true, why would they do that? Why would Israel ignore a potential attack? Well, let you make up your own minds on that. So Clarissa is on the ground right now. Clarissa, tell us what's happening. Stand by. Hi, John. So forgive me, I have a slightly unelegant position, but we have just had a massive barrage of rockets coming in here, uh, not too far from us. So we have had to take shelter here by the roadside. We're just about five minutes away. Gaza is in that direction. We can hear now a lot of jets uh, in the sky. We could also hear the Iron Dome intercepting uh, a number of those rockets as they were whizzing overhead and making impact in that direction, uh, not too far from here. We came to this location because this was ground zero uh, for this entire operation of carnage. Hamas militants came uh, on a pickup truck. This was the first place where they breached that border wall and they basically drove down this strip just spraying uh, lead wherever they went. We saw, in fact, I was just grabbing it before that happened and we had to hit the deck, but uh, heavy weaponry being used. It's saying we can get up now. Um, where are we moving to? Sorry, just one second, guys. Okay. All right, so now I can show you uh, the scene here. This is where those militants first came opening up fire on all these vehicles. Uh, there's a baby carriage down there turned over on its side. You can see over there, Clayton, if you just show in the distance there, some kind of strikes looks like in Gaza as well. Uh, return fire. Or is that the smoke from the rocket launches? Forgive me. 
um, it's a little difficult after being crouched in a ditch to know exactly what's been going on. Israeli air raids now have intensified their targeting and bombardment on civilian homes and residential homes in different areas across the Gaza Strip. Now, unfortunately, some of these uh, residential homes, like Abu Shaban home in, uh, in the western part of Gaza City, uh, and another home in, in, in Rafah, two more homes actually in Rafah, in Shabura camp uh, uh, in the southern part of Gaza Strip, uh, were leveled on top of their residence, causing massacres. At least uh, five people uh, were killed in each home, and a number others were injured. So, um, all that we have seen now, all that we're hearing now, are more Israeli raids, but bombarding mainly residential towers and residential homes. Until now, the latest update is three uh, towers in Gaza. I'm talking about Palestine Tower that was uh, uh, bombarded last night. I'm talking about uh, a Burj Watan or Watan Tower uh, that was bombarded this morning in the early hours of dawn. And later, shortly later after it, is Al Akluk uh, residential tower uh, uh, in Gaza City as well. All three in Gaza City, uh, very densely populated areas. Uh, holding a residential apartment uh, um, only for uh, a Watan Tower, which mainly holds uh, clinics and, and uh, uh, other uh, offices and, and so on. It's not a residential uh, building, but it is in a residential neighborhood, while dozens, dozens of residential homes and buildings have been completely destroyed. Uh, the uh, Israeli uh, army has uh, sent text messages to the uh, civilians of Gaza who are living on the Gaza-Israeli borders, by the Gaza-Israeli borders from north to south, asking them to evacuate their homes. So now hundreds of families in Gaza have been instantly displaced. Whether for those who were asked to instantly evacuate their homes or for those who have lost their homes because of the bombardments. Yes. Um, there, this is just an airstrike now that you've heard. Uh, it seems that it's very close here from the area of where we are. We're at El Yarmouk neighborhood. Um, I'm staying, I'm taking cover. I won't be in front of the camera. Yes, the bombardment is not, uh, it's not exactly where we are, but it's very close of where we are. You can see this is a very densely populated neighborhood. This mosque here just in front of you was uh, bombarded at 12 a.m. Uh, local time Gaza last night. This is the fourth mosque to be bombarded, uh, bombarded in the Gaza Strip. And also I'm um, going to ask the camera to go around and show you the homes that are adjacent to this mosque, how they have been severely destroyed with the targeting of the mosque.
U.S. is sending its most powerful aircraft carrier strike group to Israel in response to the deadly attack by Hamas. The USS Gerald R. Ford, accompanied by cruisers and destroyers, will be ready to respond to anything. The U.S. is also sending additional equipment and resources to the Israeli Defense Forces, including munitions. The deployment comes as the Israeli government formally declared war against Hamas and vowed to take significant military steps to retaliate. U.S. is... Welcome back. We're following some breaking news amid Israel's war with Hamas after that surprise attack yesterday. NBC's Courtney Kuby joins me now with more on what she's learning. Courtney, we talked about this about an hour and a half ago, so what have you learned since then? Yeah, it's sort of what we've been waiting to hear, and that is, according to two U.S. officials who are familiar with the planning, the U.S. military is planning to send some uh, U.S. military assets closer to Israel. This would be a show of support for Israel. So we're not talking about the U.S. military getting involved in this conflict on the ground, but it would be uh, things like U.S. Navy ships into the Med, maybe some aircraft moving closer, so that they could be showing their they could show their support for Israel. But in addition to that, there is still this question of whether the U.S. will have to make some effort to get Americans out of Israel. These Navy ships, these assets being closer to Israel will make that planning a little bit easier. And then if there is an order, some sort of an ordered departure, some sort of an evacuation ordered, then they will have more assets there in the ready. Now, I have to stress, as you know, Jen, you know this well, you know this probably a lot better than I do. No, no evacuation has been ordered, but they try. They are trying to get some of their assets in place should the, the U.S. government need to try to get Americans out of there. Jen? That is significant. They're always planning and the federal government, so that's certainly a sign of that. And it sounds like, I mean, this is pretty quick to move 24 hours after these attacks to show a sign of support, to make sure they're ready in the event they need uh, these ships there. And it sounds like they're also preparing to maybe ask Congress for more assistance, too. So that's another piece that we'll all be watching for. Courtney uh, Kuby, thank you so much. In Melbourne, Sikh Australians are marching for a revolution. About 1,000 people have taken to the streets in support of an independent Sikh nation to break away from India, known as Khalistan. Well, there's a strong concern and outrage in the community, so the community has gathered to uh, bring out their outrage. It's a decades-old movement that's taken a dramatic turn. Justin Trudeau has told the Canadian Parliament there is credible evidence that the Indian government agents were behind the See, this is what I'm talking about. This guy I told you I had a funky feeling about. Right, the one that came to America from India, the president, and like he was on Hollywood. Told you about his spirit, man. Now, he's shaking hands with some other people and listen to the narrative of what this man say about his conspiracy. His assassination in June of a Sikh separatist living in Canada. Hardeep Singh Nijar was gunned down in the parking lot of Guru Nanak Gurdwara. On June 18th, two masked suspects were spotted running away through... The Canadian government is now investigating whether the brazen daytime shooting was a state-sponsored assassination. Over the past number of weeks, Canadian security agencies have been actively pursuing credible allegations of a potential link between agents of the government of India 
and the killing of a Canadian citizen, Hardeep Singh Nijjar. The US and Australian governments have expressed concern over the killing of Nijjar, who was a prominent activist and supporter of the Sikh independence movement. These are concerning uh, reports uh, and I note that investigations are still underway. There are about 200,000 Sikhs in Australia and activists in the community are convinced the investigation in Canada will find Indian government involvement in the killing of Nijar. Mr Nijar was a Sikhs for Justice coordinator of North America and a freedom fighter in terms of an activist seeking succession of Punjab from India by a very peaceful and a democratic exercise. The foreign interference is the biggest um, concern at the moment. India has strongly denied any involvement in the killing of Nijar, but Sikhs in Australia say they are being monitored and could be at risk of being killed themselves. That sense that it can happen anywhere, even in countries like Canada, which are safe and secure, and Australia is no different to Canada. So there is a feeling, uh, especially in the, in the activists, people who raise their concern about the human rights abuses, that this can happen anywhere. Hakarit Singh, the leader of the Supreme Sikh Council, says he's currently being targeted on social media. Even like people over here and you don't know about their identity and um, you get like uh, messages on Facebook or on your messenger or from some other um, like um, media platforms that um, they will be targeting. Um, if you get to India, we'll see you over there. Some like the messages like that. So um, yeah, so have been um, targeted. India expert Dr. Pradeep Tanasia says the Indian government is likely monitoring activities of expats but isn't convinced it's going beyond that. Particularly when you have a large diaspora, most governments would keep an eye on you know, the, the activities of diaspora and particularly, particularly if there are separatist you know, activities. In 1947, colonial rule ended chaotically and British India was split. Two countries were created, Muslim-majority Pakistan and India, a secular state, predominantly Hindu, with a Sikh majority in Punjab. See, y'all heard what he said. He said India was one state, and then they split it off to make Pakistan. So, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the chart that they're showing me, fam, and India and Pakistan is like in the same territory, same area, like cross the street to me. They just cross the street. So this is when he said the colonialism, how colonialism, you know, Caucasian man, how they split up the land and stuff like this. Let's analyze. Yeah. Sikh separatists have long called for it to be a separate sovereign state called Khalistan. That feeling of having lost their own kingdom or their own state has been there in the minds of every Sikh. A renewed push for independence came in 1984 
after Sikh nationalists assassinated the then Prime Minister of the country, Indira Gandhi. It's estimated thousands of Sikhs were then killed in retaliation. People who were witness to the violence, the terrorism, and then reaction from the security forces in the 1980s, they do not want to go back to that. Today, Pradeep Tanasia says the movement is more prominent among Sikhs living abroad. Amongst the Sikh diaspora, people who are sitting comfortably in Canada or in other parts of the world, um, there may be more support for you know, the separatist movement. But for people who live in India, including Sikhs in, in Punjab, the vast majority of the Sikhs are not supporters. But Sikh leaders here reject that and believe the movement has grown during the Prime Ministership of Narendra Modi, who they say has promoted Hindu nationalism at the expense of Sikh rights. Most of the Sikhs, like, they want um, to get free from the Indian oppression, uh, so they find that this is the only way to get out of the continuous human rights abuses what Sikhs are facing. If it is that right that there is a marginal possibility that people do not support this, then why not let a referendum happen in Punjab? That answers for itself. Told y'all, told y'all I had an itch about that dude. Mama still had to find some material on my man right there because the dude in the Indian, I'm feeling his spirit and I told you, Mm -mm. I told you people in India, y'all better watch that dude. Y'all better watch him. Y'all better watch him. Let's analyze. This from the Middle East that we've been following this morning, Israel's security cabinet officially declaring Israel is at war. We're learning Israeli's strategic affairs minister has said Americans are being held hostage by Hamas fighters. The minister declined to estimate exactly how many Americans specifically could be held. Israeli Defense Forces officials say this is the most devastating attack to hit the state of Israel since it was created 75 years ago. The fighting between Israel and Hamas continued overnight with more rocket fire exchange. And we've seen an all-hands response from Washington. ABC News reporter Liz Landers is in D.C. with the latest. Liz. Good morning, Zach. As you mentioned, Israeli authorities are now confirming that there are more than 100 civilians and soldiers that are being held hostage currently by Hamas. A second day of intense fighting continues between Hamas and Israeli military forces following air, land and sea attack by Hamas during the pre-dawn hours of Saturday which has claimed hundreds of lives and thousands of injuries on both sides. It's the first time in 50 years Israel has been surprised by attack. Hamas says that their deadly actions are due to the Israeli government's policy occupation of Palestinian land, along with other grievances. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu responding to Hamas, saying that, quote, Israel will settle the score. In Washington, congressional leaders and President Biden both condemned the attack. Mr. Biden spoke by phone Saturday with Netanyahu and addressed the nation, offering full U.S. support. Israel has the right to defend itself and its people. Full stop. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has been working the phones with his counterparts in the Middle East and elsewhere to try and de-escalate the situation. 
Meanwhile, the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, while not having specific intelligence indicating a threat to the U.S., have issued a public safety notification to law enforcement nationally, urging them to remain vigilant. And an emergency meeting of the United Nations Security Council is being held today in New York City. This comes as diplomats uh, worldwide are concerned that the conflict between Israel and Gaza right now could spill over into other parts of that region, Zach. We're breaking at eight. Of course, it's the latest on the war in the Middle East. On Saturday morning, a surprise attack by Hamas militants on Israel left more than 1,100 people dead, more than 100 taken hostage. It is Israel's 9-11. Prime Minister Netanyahu is promising that Israel will retaliate with the might and scale the enemy is not yet known. And overnight he launched a major offensive with rockets and tanks. The Israeli Defense Forces announced this morning that fighting in southern Israel has stopped for now and Israel has regained control of all Gaza border towns. I want to go to Matt Gutman on the scene in Tel Aviv. Good morning, Matt. Hey, good morning, George. Right behind me is what was the police station in Sderot. It was taken over by Hamas militants. Israel obviously obliterating it. They're just clearing it now. You can hear the weapons and the sounds of war. Israel pounding Gaza from where we are, about two miles away. That is Israel's defense minister saying that Gaza is now under total siege. No water, electricity, or gas. This morning, another huge barrage of rockets from Gaza crashing into Israel just hours after Israeli forces regained control of all their Gaza border towns and are now pummeling Gaza from the air. It follows a brutal surprise attack by Hamas, resulting in the deadliest day in Israel's history. The crisis breaking out just after dawn Saturday when operatives from Hamas stormed Israel by pouring out of tunnels, bashing through the border fence using paragliders and zodiacs to get across into Israel. It was an assault Hamas covered with more than 2,200 rockets. Air raid sirens going off as far north as Tel Aviv. Israel's officials saying many hundreds of militants killed indiscriminately. Bodies left in the streets, some cantilevered out of cars. In other towns and villages, families desperately barricaded themselves in their homes as militants raided the towns, going door to door, looking to kill. Many who weren't killed were then forced into cars, mothers and children and seniors taken back to Gaza as hostages. At least nine Americans killed, according to the State Department. At an Israeli music festival nearby, hundreds of young concertgoers seen running for their lives. Rescue workers say that 260 bodies were removed from the desert after Hamas attacked that concert. A video posted online of this drone footage showing the aftermath, cars abandoned, lining the road. Hamas posting this video of the kidnapped, the young man in the yellow, is Omer Shemtov. His mother describes watching his phone tracker trail into Gaza. I'm like in a dream and I will wake up. I will wake up. Have it's you not a real thing. Have you woken up yet? No. no, it's it's a it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare, but in in life. And just as we wrap the interview, a commotion. People pouring into the house. All right, so there's there's a siren right now, and uh, we're now going into their bomb shelter together. About a dozen people huddled inside until the all clear. Speaking of things Putin is notorious for doing, he now seems to be ready to take Russia's offensive nuclear. The Russian president has unveiled a new kind of nuclear weapon, one that is bound to give Russia's enemies sleepless nights, especially its Cold War era rival, the United States of America. 
Russia claims to have successfully tested its nuclear-powered cruise missile, but it's no ordinary one. It has been touted as a nuclear missile that can hit targets as far away as the USA. The name of this new weapon is Borvestik, a nuclear-powered intercontinental cruise missile. In the past, the Borvestnik, also known as Skyfall by NATO, has faced several trial failures. It was reportedly involved in an accident leading to multiple fatalities. So what is this new weapon that has the West worried? The Borvestnik was first mentioned by Putin in 2018. It is a ground-launched, low-lying cruise missile that is capable of carrying a nuclear warhead. It can stay aloft for a much longer time than other missiles and it can cover much more distance due to nuclear propulsion. It has Western experts worried because they say that a nuclear engine could be highly unreliable. While Putin has not mentioned when the latest test took place, Western media reports say that the test could have taken place recently. These suggestions have been made based on movements of aircraft and vehicles at a Russian base in the Arctic. And why does this missile matter? Precisely because of its range. Russian reports say that the Borovestnik could have a range of up to 20,000 kilometers. Can you even fathom that? It means it could be based anywhere in Russia and strike targets all the way in the United States. The same reports also say that its altitude is just 50 to 100 meters. That is much lower than a conventionally powered cruise missile. And this makes the Borovestnik missile harder for air defense radar to detect. Borovestnik, it literally translates to storm petrol. And Putin says that it would make any country who plans to use a nuclear weapon against Russia think twice. If any country dares to do so, he says, and I quote, such a number of our missiles would appear in the air that not a single enemy would have a chance of survival. Think about that. If that doesn't sound ominous enough, sample this. A 2020 report by the U.S. Air Force's intelligence center said that if Russia successfully brought the Borovestnik into service, it would give Moscow a unique weapon with intercontinental range capability. Unique being the operative word here. A dangerous sign perhaps because nuclear experts have long questioned if this missile can even enter service. Naturally, Putin's announcement has caused a stir in international defense circles. And this is because since the Ukraine war began last year, Putin has continuously shown off Russia's nuclear strength. He has sent warnings to the West saying that using nuclear weapons against Russia would be really, really a bad idea. The recent advancements in Russia's strategic systems would further complicate Moscow-Washington talks regarding limits on nuclear weapons. Remember, earlier this year, Russia withdrew from the New START Treaty, an agreement that aims to restrict nuclear arsenal. It is also scheduled to expire in 2026. So if any of this is any indication, Russia is in no mood to end the nuclear tensions amid the Ukraine war. It might be time, high time, for NATO to ask itself, what will be the cost of prolonging this war, this conflict? What happens if Putin presses the nuclear button? this phase just trying to holler at y'all see what's going on had a lot on my mind reminiscing trying to figure out these things that are going on my mind trying to figure out some puzzles i'm not here to start nothing i ain't trying to start nothing 
just got some things that I want to get done, some things that I want to get solved, some things I want to enlighten myself with. So maybe y'all take a time and get the opportunity to stop by and listen to my thoughts. Hope so. Very intellectual. So if you get time, just holler at me. I'm reminiscing all in my room, just trying to figure out a whole lot of things. Until then, y'all have a great day, and thank you for coming in and listening to me. Thanks. signs yet that the United States and China and Russia are headed for a hot war. Three huge pieces of news that are frankly scary as hell that are being done in relative secrecy and we should all be paying attention to. We'll get into these news items in a moment but first here's Forbes magazine this week is the US headed for an all-out war with China and they're asking this question because we are at a tipping point moment and some very dangerous things are unfolding. And By the way make no mistake about it a war with China and Russia would be an absolute catastrophe because at worst it would end humanity with a nuclear war and at best it would send us back into the dark ages no electrical grids no internet no functioning satellites basically and these morons in washington dc seemed hell-bent on making this happen back in january something happened that got almost no media attention it was done quietly in japan even the japanese government started paying fishermen to stay away from one particular small island that was close to china Here's what happened. Japan's defense ministry began construction of a new base on Magishima, an island in southwestern Japan, on January 12. Ministry staff and construction workers took a boat to the uninhabited island. The base will also be used by the U.S. military for training. Oh, the U.S. is coming. According to the Japan Times, the U.S. just took a huge leap closer to China's doorstep. Instead of doing military drills 1,000 miles away on that other island, now they can do them straight up China's ass without having to use mid-air refueling to do it. That was nine months ago. Then, as we reported this week, the Biden administration is laying the groundwork for bringing back the military draft for young men in the United States. That's right. This is not a fantasy. According to the documents from the U.S. Army War College's plan, they predict that the United States will lose 3,600 soldiers per day in casualties when we start fighting China and Russia. And they say, we need the draft now because we won't be able to replace those kinds of numbers without it. Taking 3,600 people per day and throwing them into the meat grinder. They admit this right in black and white, right in their documents. And members of Congress are calling for it. 
Everything that we're seeing over the past few weeks is coming to a boiling point. It all started in earnest, though, over 10 years ago during the Obama administration in an effort to strangle China. Of course, it goes back much longer than that. We can see that China is the basic cause of all of our troubles in Asia. But it really ramped up under Obama in 2015, when it was clear that China would become America's biggest economic and strategic threat. When China announced its Belt and Road Initiative, its partnership with the Middle East, with the rest of Asia, to build roads and bridges and trade, Obama then went into high gear. Journalist John Pilger even predicted it and documented it in his amazing documentary, The Coming War on China, where he shows how America's goal is to cut off China's lifeline to oil, gas, and raw materials, strangling China economically, while at the same time surrounding China militarily, building over 400 military bases surrounding China. We need an enemy for all this money, and China's the perfect enemy. I pity a country that would come up against us. We get better and better and better. China's economy is slowing rapidly, thanks in part to U.S. sanctions. It's all going according to their plan. And China is getting desperate. And remember, desperate people do desperate things. Do you believe for a second, by the way, that China's going to sit back and take this? Of course not. If you listen to the neocons in Washington, it's China that's provoking the United States. And the United States building military bases on China's doorstep can lead to regime change. An overthrow of Xi Jinping and the installation of democracy. Here's neocon warmonger Bill Kristol. A uh, willingness to intervene to seek regime change is key to an American foreign policy that benefits America. Um, I think this is correct. I think I would notice that it says a willingness to intervene. doesn't mean you have to intervene everywhere. It doesn't mean there haven't been ill-advised interventions, but a willingness to intervene, which implies defense treaties, commitments with, to allies, uh, forward basing of troops probably, all the characteristics of the post-1945 uh, post-war order. What neocons are so concerned about is what China just did. Beijing just released a new map of the territorial waters and the territory that it claims to own. This new line of territorial land and waters could be seen as the natural response to being surrounded by U.S. military bases and being sanctioned into a recession, a big chess move by China. The U.S., though, is pissed about it, as you can imagine. We heard this week from the Pentagon, how can China possibly lay claim to waters that are fished by the Philippines? Neocons are pissed. Beijing released a new map of the waters and territories it claims as its own. This document, dubbed the Dash 10 line, is the most aggressive one yet. As in previous such exercises, China says most of the South China Sea, a critical international waterway, belongs to it. It's not just maps that are worrisome here. China's overtly aggressive actions in this region continue. Freedom of the seas has been a core U.S. principle for over 200 years. China is challenging that fundamental part of our security foundation. China pushing for war? Really? Meanwhile, some experts believe what the U.S. greenlit this week could bring us closer to war than ever before. The U.S. just announced a massive new military replicator drone program aimed squarely at China. Now, Kathleen Hicks from the Defense Department says China has too many ships, and they can make them faster than we can. We can't keep up. So here's what we'll do instead. We're going to go small, make a cloud of cheap attack drones that will hover over China's coast, and then we can attack their large ships faster than ever before. So that happened during the same week the Biden administration started labeling China as our biggest threat publicly. Clown Antony Blinken was out there in an interview, said China wants to dominate the world. We need to be prepared. And he pointed to the Pentagon's recent report that names China as the top threat to the United States, not Russia or Al-Qaeda, 
No, it's China. And then suddenly this week, out of the blue, the Biden administration suddenly recognized the sovereignty of two Pacific islands and said, yep, we now recognize you as your own countries, the Cook Islands and the New Island. Now, the Biden administration has deemed you to be sovereign nations. It's like being crowned or knighted, you know, by a, by a king. Can we now build military bases on you, pretty please? We just gave you sovereignty, basically. Can we build there, please? You can't make this up. That's exactly what happened. We give you nationhood, and we want to build military bases there. Of course, all of this is coming to a head over Taiwan. The United States sending military equipment to Taiwan is not going to fly. China at the United Nations this week said, do not underestimate us and our willingness to take over Taiwan, which of course is their own land to begin with. And the United States even recognizes the one China policy. China this week sent military vessels surrounding Taiwan. They sent nine aircraft, five vessels, and a show of huge military force on the island. It was a message. Don't even try it. So we are at a tipping point moment right now. Is a war coming to the Pacific? And what happens next will determine who is the leader of the new world order. Will it be the United States in a continued role or will it be China? Let see y'all, we already see. Now y'all gotta explain to me now, family. How in the head the United States is in a recession? They keep on kicking the can, keeping the can down the road. Then they give Ukraine billions and billions of dollars. Then they give military equipment, right? And then they beef them with Russia, with Russia. And then they coming around with Japan, right? China. And you see all this mess they doing with China. And then they going over there with Israel and all that. How is they doing all this, man? And you see how they trying to get y'all young children out there, especially you little black children and Latino children. Now, you're not treated like an American now, but now they want you to fight for your country. And your country doesn't even do anything for y'all. What is the mindset? What? Why am I going? Why am I going to this draft? And America is not doing nothing for me. America don't even see me as a citizen. America, what? Why? That's something y'all got to ask yourself, young fellas and young fellas. Why are we gonna go? Why are y'all gonna go fight this war and all this and all this people that? All they got is all these rich people sitting back watching y'all die and coming coming back not right in the mind or body or something but messed up. I, I, I want to see what the benefit, what is the benefit for that? Well, Faye, well, Faye, well, Faye, you looking at the small picture. The big picture is freedom. It's freedom. When did America ever have freedom, y'all? Whoever America always set on freedom, y'all. Freedom for who? Now, now, y'all young people graduating and talking about going to the military and this and that and that. Y'all need to calculate and rephrase y'all thought process, man. I know y'all trying to find a job or a career or trying to go to college, but all this is a delusion, man. All this coming to an end. 
that's what the mindset y'all don't realize and your parents don't realize because they too much in a delusional state. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 11. Colossians 2 and 8. Hey, let's analyze. As the message from Russia's foreign minister, who's held talks with the Secretary General of the Arab League earlier today, Sergei Lavrov stated that the U.S. has diverted the Palestinian-Israeli discussion and lost sight of a two-state solution. The Palestinian problem cannot be postponed any longer, and the UN decisions must be implemented. Instead of working closely with the Arab League, the Americans are trying to monopolize mediation efforts and divert the dialogue between the Palestinians and Israelis away from a political settlement and away from the creation of a Palestinian state. Well, top of the agenda at that meeting between the Russian foreign minister and the chief of the Arab League, Ahmed Abulgate, unsurprisingly was the ongoing crisis in Israel. And the resounding conclusion and priority was this, let's put a stop to the killing and the bloodshed. Let's not discuss the right and the wrong, whom to support, who started it. Let's just stop the killing. However, there was an honest recognition that any ceasefire would be just a band-aid. What's ultimately needed and what both Moscow and the Arab League are very open to facilitating, more open than others, perhaps is of course a long-lasting peace which has been so elusive. Now the Arab League has a very clear idea of how it sees the Palestinian state and that was reiterated right here in Moscow on Monday. It is possible to achieve the best for the people of Palestine through the realization of political aspirations and the creation of states within the borders of 1967. It is impossible to look at this problem from only one side, the side that is trying to be imposed on the world. Unfortunately, many positions on the world stage are twofold. This is what y'all don't understand, fam. Bible says, the Bible says, when the Jews are back in their own land, there'll be no war no more. Right? That's what Bible prophecy says. So these people that call themselves Jewish, what and they saying they the true children of God. Why is it war? Why are they fighting? They are not the true people in that land. And these people have been dealing with these people for a long time, right? And what makes you think at all this time that they're going to try to do right? Now, the book of Revelation says those that call themselves Jews, they are not. They're the synagogues of Satan. So if the Bible calling them the synagogues of Satan, and the synagogues of Satan is evil, wicked, and diverse with this crafty counselor. What makes you think that good things gonna come out of talk with these people that's not in the in their right and proper place? They're not the children of God. Not the true children of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you hear all these people talking, all these Caucasian men talking, and the world leaders, China talking, and all these African talking, and all they talking, right? Collage and two and eight. See, when when they start.
doing all that ribbing and rubberish and river rubbish. Then I got to see if what they saying is true or what the scripture saying is true. Cause somebody lying, either the Most High lying or these people out here who calling themselves wise men of America who's doing all the ruling. Because they sit up here on TV land and whatever, reading some old cue cards that somebody done sat down and wrote the night before and try to present to them like they some kind of elegant. This is why I tell the common man and common woman all over the world, I don't know why we sit up here and allow these people that call ourselves leaders and they running us instead of us running them. When, when is we going to flip this? Only time we going to flip this is when we get back in our, in our rightful order, y'all. The Most High said the Gentiles are ruling the world. And the time that the prophecy feels that the time that the Gentile is finished ruling the world, that's the time of the coming of the Most High. And he's coming, y'all. He's coming. He's coming soon. Yeah. And, and you know what? You know, I, don't, I, I ain't saying I'm all this and I'm this and that and that. But he gonna come in our lifetime, fam. And and how they talking, like they talking, and it's war, and and you see how United States is doing all this. Because if if you're a black man and a black woman and in America, that forefathers had um went through this captivity of slavery, and you see the history of the Caucasian man, right? And you see how wicked they are and how they been. And now we get to see how they work in the outside world and they still doing their wickedness. We know we know them closer than more than the other people in this whole world know them. We live, we live with them. We diverse with them. We gotta we continue being oppressed by him. And you think they have any type of empathy about what their forefathers had done to our forefathers. But you know, it's not their way of empathy, but the empathy should be the sad little thing should be about who who should be getting their heads out there behind is the black man, the Latino man, and the native Indian man. Because we can't stop this oppression unless we stop this oppression. We can't stop a bully from being a bully until we stop that bully, period. And let them know we're not taking it no more. But we so much caught up in this colonialism and I got to pay these bills or 
I got to outdo this dude or my brother looking at my brother in a, in a hateful way. I don't understand this, man. Because y'all fail to realize the nation gonna go with y'all or without y'all. And I just hope that some of y'all is getting y'all y'all life together, man. And getting your life together and trying to see what's really going on in this world for what it is. Not because I feel this type of way. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to feel this type of way. I want to see reality. I want to see the truth. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna govern myself accordingly. So when anything happens, it ain't gonna blow my mind that it had me, had me in some kind of stupid goose mind chase. I wanna be able to make sure my sisters and my brothers and my mother and my fathers and my children are good. Or we got a survivor kick. Or the ones that did survive, we could be ready to to start healing and mending and doing what's necessary to, to get together. Unless the rapture comes and start bleeping us up. Spaceship come. Three of y'all sitting on the corner. One of them gone. One family right here eating in the restaurant at one table. The next family sitting over here eating at the next table. The rapture come, grab one family, and leaves the next. Because we under this delusion that the most high playing games. We under delusion that this world is what we see it as. We under the delusion that that person that looks like me is my enemy. We under the delusion that our women should be queens, not whores. See, we so much in these much delusional state that we fit 2 Thessalonians 2 and 11 because we don't want to believe the truth. We don't want to see the truth. And, and if we hear the truth, we try to shy away because the truth got me feeling uncomfortable. But I got some news for y'all people who don't want to feel uncomfortable, can't feel uncomfortable, and can't make it when they in an uncomfortable situation. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Let's analyze. The United States was, and now it is again, on what I would call an intentional trajectory to fulfill 
what famous Freemason Manly P. Hall described as the secret destiny of America, which includes a future national and uh, global subservience to the god of Freemasonry, a deity that most Americans would not imagine when reciting the Pledge of Allegiance to One Nation Under God. In fact, the idea by some that the United States was established as a monotheistic Christian nation by those who... Psalms 10 and 15 Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. Let's analyze. Designed Washington, D.C. And that the God referred to on American currency as a Judeo-Christian one, it's really a puzzling conclusion when reflected against the deistic beliefs of so many of the founding fathers as you can see perpetually viewed in the so-called supreme architect deism of Freemason, as well as the countless pagan icons that actually dominate the symbols, the statues, the buildings, the seals that were carefully drafted under official government auspices, the Great Seal of the United States primary among them which Manly P. Hall, the famous Freemason, rightly called the signature of that exalted body of Masons who designed America for what he called a peculiar and particular purpose, concluding that America had been a heathen nation based on the symbolism of the Great Seal, Congress was pushed to create something reflecting the Christian faith of so many of its citizens. U.S. President and Freemason Theodore Roosevelt, he strongly opposed this idea, but other Masons weren't as frustrated with the plan because, given the ambivalence of the term God, and the axiom that, interpreted within the context of the Great Seal's symbolism, this certainly would not infer the biblical Christian God. Therefore, the slogan in God we trust, whoever you believe that God is, was accommodated by Masons and other Illuminatus, who therefore approved as the official U.S. motto the phrase, in God we trust. But this was to illustrate the point that one definitely would not determine that the God in America's official motto refers to the Father of Jesus. Imagine yourself as a space traveler who visits Earth in a fictional post-apocalyptic world. Digging through the rubble of the once thriving planet, you come across a copy of a U.S. $1 bill with the two-sided great seal of the United States joined in the middle by the phrase, in God we trust. Ephesians 2 and 2 Wherein in time past ye walking according to the course of this world according to the prince of the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience on consideration, you ask yourself, what God did this refer to? And with no preconceptions 
You allow the symbolism on the seal to speak for itself, from which you quickly determine that this had been a great culture who worshipped Egyptian and Greek deities, especially a particular solar one whose all-seeing eye glares from the top an unfinished Egyptian pyramid. Upon further investigation into the specific beliefs of the strange group whose members had influenced the Great Seal, you discover from their highest masters, including one illustrious Albert Pike, that the sun god they venerated so highly had been known to them at various times in history by the names Apollo, Osiris, and Nimrod." In quote. The Great Seal's mottos and symbolism relate to both Osiris and Apollo specifically, and yet as one. Osiris is the dominant theme of the Egyptian symbols, his resurrection and return, while the mottos of the seal point directly to Apollo and the eagle, a pagan emblem of Jupiter, to Apollo's father. For instance, the motto Anuakweptus, this is from Virgil's Aenid, in which Ascanius, the son of Aeneas from conquered Troy, prays to Apollo's father, Jupiter, or Zeus, Charles Thompson, the designer of the Great Seal's final version, condensed line 625 of Book 9 of Virgil's Aenid, which reads, Jupiter Omnipotus, Adasibus Anuet Coeptus, which means all-powerful Jupiter favors the daring undertaking, he condensed that down to Anuet Coeptus. He approves our undertaking. While the phrase Novus Ordo Seclorum, a new order of the ages, was adapted in 1782 from inspiration that Thompson found in a prophetic line in Virgil's Eclogue 4, which reads Magnus ab integro seclorum nascitor ordo, from Virgil's Eclogue 4, line 5, the interpretation of the original Latin being, and the majestic role of circling centuries begins anew. Now that phrase is from the Cume Sibyl, a pagan prophetess of Apollo, identified in the Bible as a demonic deceiver, and it involves the future birth of a divine son spawned from a new breed of men sent down from heaven when he receives the life of gods and sees him. Genesis 6 and 4 There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the son of Yahweh come in unto the daughters of men, and they bear children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renewal. Heroes with gods commingling. According to this prophecy, this is Apollo, the son of Jupiter, or Zeus, who returns to Earth through mystical life given to him from the gods when the deity Saturn, or Jupiter, returns to reign over the cosmos in a new pagan golden age, whose spirit will reside in the beast of Revelation 17.8. From the beginning of the prophecy, referenced on the Great Seal of the United States, here's what we read. Now the last age by Kume Sibyl Sung has come and gone, and the majestic role of circling centuries begins anew. Justice returns, returns old Saturn's reign, with a new breed of men sent down from heaven. 
only do thou at the boy's birth, in whom the iron shall cease, the golden race arise. Befriend him, chaste Lucina, tis thine own Apollo reigns. He shall receive the life of gods and see heroes with gods commingling, and himself be seen of them, and with his father's worth reign over the world. Assume thy greatness, for the time draws nigh, dear child of gods, great progeny of Jove or Jupiter. First Timothy 4 and 7 But refuse profane and old wise fable, and exercise thyself rather unto ungodliness. Zeus, see how it totters the world's orbed mind, earth and wide ocean, and the vault profound, all see enraptured of the coming time." End quote. According to Virgil and the Cume Sibyl, whose prophecy formed the Novus Ordo Seclorum on the Great Seal of the United States, the New World Order begins during a time of chaos, when the earth and the oceans are tottering, a time like today. First, in case you don't know who Yuval Noah Harari is, I'll play a couple clips for you so you get an idea. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design. We are really upgrading humans into gods. I mean, all these stories. Second Thessalonians 2 and 4. Who oppose and exalt himself above all that is called Yahweh, or that is worship, so that he as Yahweh sitteth in the temple of Yahweh, showing himself that he is Yahweh. Let's analyze about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God. This is fake news. And he came out recently and said AI could write a new religious text. It could write a new Bible soon and one that's actually true and real. Here's that clip. AI can create new ideas, can even write a new Bible. We, you know, throughout history, religions dreamt about having a book written by a superhuman intelligence, by a non-human entity. Every religion claims our book, all the other books of the other religions, they humans wrote them. But our book, no, 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 no. It came from some superhuman intelligence. In a few years, there might be religions that are actually correct. That just think about a religion whose holy book is written by an AI. I would love to hear Yuval's response to Bible prophecy because the Bible is the only book that actually has proven prophecy, proving it was written by God through mankind. But I believe he probably knows this deep down, which is why he constantly only attacks the Bible. Now, artificial intelligence truly could create a new religion, and it could really fall into play with end times Bible prophecy. In Revelation 17, it talks about the great harlot in the end times. The term harlot in the Old Testament is a metaphor for false religion. And we know in the end times there will be a one world religion that will be taking place. In Revelation 17, it tells us, then he said, The religion they talking about in biblical time, when you fast forward it, is Christianity. Habakkuk 2 and 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end 
it shall speak. And no lie, though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. To me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. If artificial intelligence truly creates a new religion, we know that many peoples and multitudes could easily take part in this. God, of course, in his wisdom gave us another prophecy because he knew these times would come, and that's Galatians 1.9, and that says, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. That passage in Galatians says even if an angel from heaven comes, that's why if supernatural entities, such as whatever this alien phenomenon is, come to the earth and preach a different gospel, you cannot believe them no matter what supposed evidence they have. The United Study the Bible so I know it well. Yeah, can't let nobody make myself a cell. Can't even lie, yeah, I still struggle, but I know myself. I fear God, I told him I don't want to go to hell. Pray for the sermon, I'll be asking, what's the gift in me? Must be this music, cause the world think I'm so sick with it. I switch my style, some people love it, some trying to get with it. I think what matters most is I'm living out what's God written. I make mistakes, but I embrace them, I'm still human. I'm still human. I escape from that place that made me feel ruined. So every day I still chase what I think I'm losing. And pray to God in the end that I don't look stupid. Why do I feel I'm unable, double-minded, I'm unstable? Wanna put all me on the table so God can make me an angel. Was living life like Cain, cause I was jealous of Abel. God told me, look up, child, I just wanna save you. I need to hear your voice in life so I could get through this. For you, I shoot for the stars every time and I don't miss. Every time I drop a hit, I still don't feel the bliss. And deep down, I know it's only cause I'm still living in sin. You transform my pen, they laughed at me, now I'm laughing with them. Transform my gifts so now I can't even rap with them. I need to use my talents cause the devil be distracting them.